el Todos Hablamos McDonald's Deal. Porque cuando están decidiendo qué ordenar y la tía Carmen te dice... McNuggets, mijo. Y una de las hamburguesas con esa salsita. ¿Sabes? Ya tú sabes que eso significa una Big Mac. Y lo sabes porque tú también amas esa salsita. Hay un meal para cada cena familiar en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular. Last time when you were at the pump, did you catch yourself thinking, why am I spending all my money on gas? Drive less, save more. Ride Coda. The new transit app makes riding Coda as easy as tap, tap, go. Plus, we'll help you get started with a $4.50 account credit when you download the transit app and set up your Coda account. What are you waiting for? Download the transit app today. Learn more at coda.com slash transit app. Amen. People need Jesus, right? Come on, the harvest is ripe. There's no reason for our churches in this nation not to be full of people because there's so many people that are in need of Jesus. We just got to reach out to them, love them, tell them about the Lord, and uh, invite them to church too. That'll help. Of course, we want more than them just coming to a church service, right? We want them to be part of the kingdom, to realize who they are in Christ, what their uh, be the benefits and the responsibilities of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you know that if you're a citizen of a country, that you have both rights and responsibilities? In our nation, particularly our current generation, oh, now he's dissing millennials. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm saying is that we have a sense in which we have people that are You know, they've got all these rights, but there's not a lot of people recognizing the responsibilities that we have. And, and I'm not talking about um, the way, different ways things are just occurring in how we live, but there is a sense which, yes, we have rights, but what about our responsibilities? Amen? Come on. In the kingdom of God, we have a right to silence our mobile phones when we're in church. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? But in the kingdom of God, we actually have both rights and responsibilities. Amen? Amen. I remember, and again, so here I'm going to take a shot at the older generation now, right? I just took a shot at the millennials. Let's talk, take a shot at the, the older generation. I remember when in the 80s, yes, I remember the 80s. I just became a Christian. When everything was all about how blessed you can be, how you can prosper and how you can walk and, and, you know, overflow. And you just tell God whatever car you want, whatever house you want to live in and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it was all focused on the outward and blessings and prosperity. But there wasn't a lot of obligation in terms of of recognizing what it takes to walk before the Lord. And, and that's definitely over the top, and that's certainly taken out of context. But there's a place, yeah, God is our provider. Absolutely. I have no doubt. But I also know this, that I must be submitted to him. I've been created for him, to honor him, to glorify him with my life. Amen? Amen. All right, guys. So we are so happy that you're here today. Are you happy you're here? Turn to the person beside you, just, just tap them once, not too hard, and just say, I'm glad you're here. All right. All right. 
Amen. Now, come on, you need to mean that in your heart, right? You need to mean that in your heart. Just, uh, it's not just going through the motions here, right? Okay. Amen. We've been in a series on restoring apostolic community. And I'm going to actually finish the series today. All right. Yes. You're happy I'm finishing the series? Okay. All right. What does that mean? It's not. Okay. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully it's, it's been a blessing to you. But I've left the best for the last. And, uh, you know, how many know that Jesus does that, right? The best wine for the ass, for the last, right? The glory of the latter house would be greater than the former. So the best for last this morning. And uh, we're talking about restoring apostolic community. And what does that mean? For those of you who have not been here, let me just tell you, when, we talk, when we're referring to apostolic community, we're speaking of restoring the apostolic, which means, okay, not only in the sense of recognizing and affirming the office or the gift, the ascension gift of the apostle, Ephesians 4.11, God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But a much broader context is what I'm referring to here now. What I'm saying is we are realizing that God is moving in such a way that he is restoring the apostolic to his church. And what I mean by that is we as God's people are realigning ourselves with the mandate of Jesus to be his followers on a mission to all nations, to be his followers on mission. God has created you for a mission. Isn't it interesting that our culture is just obsessed with superheroes right now? Have you noticed that? I mean, look, I remember the comic books when I was a kid growing up and, you know, reading about the Flash and Spider-Man and whatever and, and uh, all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden now it's on TV. And I think it was just the, the most recent, um, what was it? What do you call it? Not the, 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 not Justice League. What do they call it? The Avengers. Thank you. It's like made the most money. Like it's almost any movie. It's ridiculous. And so there's this obsession with superheroes. Why? Because I believe God has hardwired us for adventure. God has hardwired us as a people for adventure. You know, we, there's a sense in which we were created for a destiny. And we were created for a purpose. And that means risk. It means adventure. It means doing things that are exciting, unconventional even in a way. So God has created us for that. But the bottom line is the things of the world will never fulfill that. You can do extreme sports. You can skydive. You can bungee jump. You can watch all the adventure movies you want. But it will never fill the void that you have in your life for adventure. Because it's only as we submit ourselves to Jesus and engage in his great adventure, or we might call it the great commission, that we find our sense of significance. There are many people in the world that have been successful in life, very successful. Businesses that have thrived, they do well financially, but deep down within, there's no sense of significance. I've had conversations with people that are very wealthy, and they've said, hey, look, I'm at this age right now. I've done it all. 
You know, I've made millions, perhaps some even billions of dollars. I've traveled all over the world, but yet I have a void in my life. There's an emptiness here because I have experienced success, but not true significance. Something's missing deep down within. Significance. We were created to be significant. We were created not just to be blessed, not just to experience God's love, but to do something and leave our mark or our footprint in life. Every one of us was created, in a sense, to be apostolic. Apostolic means we are a going people. We are a going church, not just a growing church. As Jesus said, you know, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And we are engaged. We're supposed to be engaged in mission. There's a purpose. And God has created us for that. Does that mean you have to travel to another nation? No, not necessarily. But what it does mean is that God has something planned for you that is very exciting. And you just got to step out of your box. You just got to go to the place where your comfort zone does not become your prison. And as you move out of that place of comfort, come on now, we all like comfort, don't we? Right? We like comfort food, don't we? Come on. We like to be comforted. There's nothing wrong with comfort, but the thing is if we're just constantly being comforted, guess what happens? What? We grow out. If you eat a lot of... Well, we don't grow up. So we have to grow up. We have to grow spiritually. We have to grow in our faith. And you will never reach your full potential and become the person God created you to be and experience that sense of significance that he has for you if all you do is come to church. We even have a problem getting people to church nowadays. People come whenever they feel like it. I recognize there are people that, you know, fly in, fly out. People work on the weekend. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. Those are legitimate things. You know, somebody says, if the ox falls into the pit, what do you do on the Sabbath, right? You, yeah, you take the ox out of the pit, right? But if the ox keeps falling into the pit, you either fill in the pit or kill the ox. So we recognize that there's a place where we can't justify our inability to connect with God's people, but let's take it further today. There is a place of mission. There is a place of significance. God has a plan for our lives, and he wants to use us for his glory. Well, I want you to just look at this um, this graphic again, we, we articulated our vision, which is that God has called us as Ignite Church to be uh, a community of faith similar to what we see in the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 11 and 13, in that we're called to be a multicultural, multi-generational family of faith that is committed to prayer, discipleship, equipping others, and sending out people to fulfill the great commission of making more and better disciples of Jesus, both home and abroad, both home and abroad. Some people are called to go abroad. Some people are called to stay here. It's an amazing culture uh, day that we live in because of globalism and how small our world has become. We can communicate 
um, to people almost anywhere in the world now through social media, through, through um, technology, but also the fact that so many people travel. So many people travel, not only in domestically in, in this country, but to other countries as well. And there's just this amazing opportunity today, probably more than ever before in the history of our world, to impact other cultures and nations. So this is who we are. One of the things I want to do today is start off by taking us back to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, to the writings of Paul. And as I've done quite a bit of research and study, I've realized that there's a significant difference, a drastic, stark contrast in many ways from what we do and how we live our lives as Christians and how they lived their lives back in the first century as the early church. So in a sense, I believe that we need to return to our roots. We need to recover vintage faith. There needs to be a sense in which the church is retrofitted to God's original purpose for us. And I just want to contrast some of the behaviors that we see in the church today and then compare that to what the church was intended to be as delineated in the New Testament. The church today focuses on church growth. What do I mean by that? Filling buildings with people. Well, the church in the New Testament was focused on kingdom expansion. So it's not so much about filling churches with people as it is filling people with God. Filling people with the Lord himself, getting them discipled, getting them trained and equipped up so that they go out locally uh, as well as through into the nations of the world and that the fragrance of Jesus Christ is spread abroad through their life and the kingdom of God is expanded on the earth. The church today is about winning converts, right? Put up your hand if you want to receive Jesus today. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a starting point. But the church in the book of Acts was, took it further. They were engaged in making disciples. Disciples, people that actually lived and became like Jesus Christ. Not just people who said a prayer, put up their hand, you know, ticks a, bo a box or whatever. But people who actually recognize their call to follow Jesus, to surrender everything, to become his disciple to be conformed in his image and likeness and to do his very works on the earth now. That's what we're called to be. The church today often focuses on instructing people in doctrine. You know, we have in our more formal churches, of course, we have what we would say catechisms and we have these uh, formal trainings that we bring people through. But I'm also talking about how we do discipleship today. In many ways, our discipleship in the 21st century is kind of like, hey, you know what, we're going to do this class. And if you, you know, start praying, start reading the Bible every day, you know, give money, uh, honor God with your, with your time and all of these things, then you know what, 
that's awesome. You, you, you know, and if you have the right doctrine and if you believe in the Trinity and you believe in, in the deity of, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and that salvation is by faith, you know, and it's a work of grace through and, and all of that, which is very true and very important, but unfortunately becomes just a, a mental or intellectual exercise where we agree with certain things, but it's just stuck up here and it hasn't gone down to the place where it affects our life. And so the church in the book of Acts was, even though there was this thing called the Apostles' Doctrine that they continued steadfastly in, I don't believe it was, you know, a cl- like a, what we have today, a class for new believers. I believe it was very different and there was a sense that they imparted revelation to people. And revelation is spiritual and it, it opens the eyes of our heart, not, not just, uh, you know, giving us more information, but it results in transformation of life. All right, the early, the church today is about gathering, right? Bumps and chairs, sorry. But the, the church in the New Testament was about going. It wasn't about how many people can we give, do we have in attendance? If you go to a conference especially in America, and you, 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 know, you meet with pastors, and I'll tell you, some of the conferences, it's absolutely ridiculous. So how many people are you running in your church? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So, so how big is your building? Oh, yeah. What's your, what's your budget? And no kidding, right? But guess what? On Judgment Day... As ministers of God, we're not going to be asked or called on the carpet by the Lord for any of these things. It's not our attendance. It's not how much money we were able to raise. It has nothing to do with how big our buildings were. But it's all about raising up people to become like Christ People that as they go out into the world, they make a difference. They're impacting their culture and their generation. And guys, there has been a problem in the 20th century, particularly with the builder and boomer generations, that we've been so focused just on building church, build edifices and and bringing people in that we've neglected the mission of people becoming like Jesus Christ, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the anointing and power and becoming the incarnation of Christ on the earth so that where we go, we bring his glory and power to our generation. All right. Forgiveness from the past. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. Thank God that our sins are forgiven. Amen. He throws him to the sea of forgetfulness. Corey Ten Boom, who was actually um, put in a, in a prison camp um, during World War II, a prisoner of war camp, she said that God throws our sins into his sea of forgetfulness and then posts a no fishing sign. Isn't that amazing? Can't bring it up. As far as the east is from the west, so God has removed our sins from us. That's amazing. But you know what? There's more to it than forgiveness from the past. That's just the beginning. God has called us into a lifestyle of power from the present. Power for the present. Not just that I'm forgiven for what I used to be, but power so I can be a son of God, so I can manifest his, per, his power on the earth. 
live free from sin, not just so I'm forgiven and I keep falling and keep messing up, and, and then, but I can get up and just ask him to forgive me. But we're not changing. We're still in bondage. We're still controlled by sin. Whereas Paul says, sin has no dominion over you. You're not under law, but you're under grace, Romans 6.14. So that we overcome sickness. We overcome the works of the devil and, and the things that are in our life that are holding us back so that we become like Jesus himself. And, of course, there's some today in the church that espouse, oh, man, one day it's going to be good because we're going to leave this planet and go to heaven. And, you know, some of the, some of the songs even that, that we used to sing, you know, I'll fly away one day, right? Everybody will be happy over there. Do you remember that hymn? Everybody will be. It was written by people that were depressed, it was written by people, some of them were slaves, honestly. And look, they, they're in a place where, yeah, everything will be happy. I realize that life can be difficult. Life can be tough. And there is a sense in which Jesus said, I'll wipe away all your tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. Revelation says that. But guys, no matter what we're going through in this life, it's not just leaving here and going to heaven. God wants to bring heaven to earth. Jesus wants to bring things. And that's what he taught his disciples, that we're to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's more than leaving earth to go to heaven. It's bringing heaven to earth. And when we look particularly at that last aspect, when we compare the church today and the church in the book of Acts. I really feel the last point, point number six, bringing heaven to earth, is something that we need to get right as his followers. You see, we've been called to bring the kingdom to earth. Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8, Jesus told his followers, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Now, what was he saying? First of all, he was saying that as you go, you're going to be going. You're going to be traveling through life. As you're journeying, as you're doing your daily routines, whatever it is, whether you're going on a mission trip, whether you're being intentional to go to other nations, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, as you're going about your business, I want you to preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many of us do that? Wow, we're going to start doing that. Because guess what? Jesus commanded us to do it. What does it mean at hand? Well, the term at hand actually means is here. When Jesus said, when Judas walked into the room on the very night that Jesus was about to be arrested... He, Jesus looked at it and he said to his disciples, Behold, let us arise, my betrayer has arrived. Some translation says, my betrayer is at hand. Other translations say, my betrayer has come, he's present, he's arrived. So the idea when we say the kingdom is at hand, we're saying the kingdom is here. The kingdom has arrived. The kingdom is present. And because the kingdom is present... We can heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. It's a powerful thing. So let's recognize 
that Jesus, his intention is that we would cooperate with him in extending the borders of his kingdom so that the whole earth is covered with the knowledge of the glory of God and that even the natural kingdoms of this world and certainly the kingdom of Satan himself is supplanted and replaced by the kingdom of God. Let's make no mistake about it. The goal of the gospel, the intention of Jesus Christ is that his kingdom would expand and fill the earth. Look at Daniel chapter 7. I referred to this in the beginning of the service. I was watching, Daniel says, in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. One day, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, when Jesus returns, the seventh trumpet is blown, that the angel will cry out, and he will say, the kingdom of the world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What an amazing truth. The kingdom is not just something in the future. The kingdom is not just something that will happen one day when Jesus comes back because he told us to preach the kingdom is here now. As George Eldon Ladd said in his classic book on the kingdom, the kingdom is already but not yet. It's here, but it's not here in its fullness. Only at the very end, when the final enemy to be defeated, death, when that occurs at the resurrection, Jesus' return, will we see the kingdom come in its full glory. What an amazing thing. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more evil, no more conflict, no war, nothing. Because what? Jesus' prayer that we are to engage in is that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as in heaven will be fully realized at that point. But now, here, we can begin to see things change so that more and more the kingdom of the enemy is becoming weaker and weaker and the kingdom of God is becoming stronger and stronger. We can establish the kingdom. We can extend the borders and we can see that justice is enacted so that every person on the face of the earth has the opportunity to be liberated from their oppression. This is part of God's plan for each one of us. And in a sense, it's keeping with the original commission that he gave to humankind, to Adam and Eve back in the garden in Genesis 1:28, and also in Psalm chapter 8 verses 5 through 6. We'll look at that in just a moment. But understand this, that Satan has a kingdom. He has a kingdom, and his desire is to fill the earth with his kingdom. He also wants to extend the boundaries of his kingdom. And he does that very craftily. He does that very powerfully. And we read in In the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 2, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. Satan wants to take over 
cover the earth with darkness and deep darkness the people. But God, through Jesus Christ, has countered that. And the scripture says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled. This is a promise. The earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. One day the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Other translations say with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You know, it says that all the earth is filled with his glory. Now we see that in a sense that this is a prophetic declaration of God's intention for what will happen one day. But the Bible also says that we have a responsibility as God's people to carry his glory. So if we look at that verse in Isaiah chapter 60 and we put it in its context, at least the first three verses, we start at verse 1 where the Bible says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you and the Gentiles shall come to your light. So because darkness is covering the earth and deep darkness is suffocating the people, that's what it literally means in Hebrew, what are we to do? What is God's plan? His plan, he's completely invested in us that we would arise and shine. Now, you can't shine if you don't have a light. So we have a light. Our light has come and the glory is with us. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of glory. But we have to learn how to allow our light to shine, how to allow the glory of God to be resplendent and to shine out from us into the darkness. So we arise and we shine. And what do we do? We dispel the darkness. And the Lord will rise over you. His glory will be seen. Seen. People can see the glory. People can understand the glory. It's amazing. And what will happen when they see and experience the glory? They'll come to your light. The Gentiles, the heathen, the unsaved, those who don't know God will come to your light. That's God's plan, to counteract the domain of darkness. This is what he's called us to, church, that we can arise, we can shine. And as I said, it goes back to our original commission. When we speak about the Great Commission, we refer to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's remember that God's original commission was in Genesis. In the very first chapter, after he said he, he created man in his image and likeness, he gave them a commission. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over everything that moves on the earth. Now, that was before the transgression. That was before there was sickness, before there was sin. That was before the enemy demonic spirits were filling people. That was way back before all of this was occurring. So now our dominion commission has been a coda has a new way to pay now you can use the transit mobile app to plan track and pay for your coda ride for a limited time everyone who creates a coda account in the transit app will get a four dollar and fifty cent credit what are you waiting for download the transit app today expanded and extended and in the new testament jesus says behold i give you authority to heal every sickness and disease 
to preach the gospel, to remit people's sins in the sense that after we preach the gospel, we can say, look, Jesus has just forgiven you if you called on his name. We're not talking about papal authority like we're a bunch of little popes going around. But what we're saying is that there is a sense in which we have authority. And that also includes casting out demons, is what he said. So we have been given this commission that why? Why? Because God wants to change the earth. God wants his kingdom borders to be extended throughout the earth. And that eventually his will would be that every single person would become a citizen of his kingdom and would experience all of the benefits and the blessings of being one of his subjects. Psalm 8, 5 and 6, God made, look at this in the New Living, you have made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Wow. How many said, hey, what do you mean a little lower than God? I thought it said that we were made a little lower than the angels. Well, guess what? That's an error. Do you know what God's first and original name is in Hebrew? In Genesis chapter 1, Elohim. Elohim, the creator, the, the, the sustainer, the all-powerful, the almighty one. The Hebrew language says here in Psalm 8, verse 5, you have made them only a little lower than Elohim. It doesn't say angels. But some people who translated this going back into the King James time in particular had a real hard time believing that we could be just a little lower than God. And, and no, 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 we're, we're scum. We're sinners. We will just always struggle. We'll always have, life will always be difficult. And you know what? Charlie, this isn't fit our theology. So they actually changed the interpretation. But the word is Elohim, guys. Don't believe me. Check it out yourself. This is the New Living. I'm translating. I'm, I'm there are many other English translations that translate it God, not just the New Living. Many. God made us a little lower than him. Wow. I love the fact that we're called to represent our Father. We're called to represent our Father. Jesus said... If you've seen me, you've seen what? My father, right? There's a sense in which we should be able to say that. Because he is the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8, 29. We should be able to say, hey, guys, look at me. I am so surrendered, so committed, so dedicated to God that you can see his nature, his character, and his image in me. You can see him in me. And we minister in the power of the authority. We live out our lives so that we display the very character or the fruit of the spirit. His love, his humility, his kindness, but even his authority and his boldness at times. So we don't put up. We've been called, guys, every one of us, to extend the boundaries of the kingdom on the earth. You want a mission? 
You want something that's more exciting than watching the most recent Avengers movie? Engage in that mission. Begin to go out, and here's how it works. In that passage of Scripture, going back to the beginning, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, we're to preach the kingdom is at hand. Now, let me just show you something here. Go to Luke chapter 8, verse 1. We have this on the PowerPoint. I want you to see this in the New King James. It says that it came to pass afterward that he, meaning our Lord Jesus, went through every city and village. Notice that. Why did he do that? Why did he not just set up his HQ in Jerusalem and, you know, why? why? Because why? Because he said every city, every village belongs to my father and I'm going there to claim it and to repossess it for the kingdom. So he came to pass that he went through every city and village preaching, notice that, and bringing the glad tidings, which is the Greek word gospel of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. First of all, it says preaching. The word that is used there literally means the manner of a herald, a herald, an announcer, someone who would cry out, but listen to this, the word means the manner of a herald, always with an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. Whoa. As we go into our workplace, into our schools, into our cities, into our homes, and we say the kingdom is at hand. We're saying the kingdom has arrived. We're preaching the kingdom and we are authorized to be able to say to those that hear us say the kingdom, particularly the enemy, the devil himself, that I have authority and you must not only listen and pay attention to what I'm saying, but you must obey it. Woo! So we can go into a city. We can go into, uh, you know, a, a school, a, a business, and we can say, this belongs to God. This is the Father's. This is His. He wants it. Perth belongs to Jesus Christ. Perth belongs to Jesus Christ. And He's saying it's time for us as a church to realize that and to cooperate with Him and repossessing what belongs to him. So not only did Jesus preach, but it says bringing, bringing the glad tidings, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. Not only preaching, but bringing. So what we're talking about here is not mere declaration, but also demonstration. Demonstration of the power. When we begin to talk about when we're teaching on the apostolic and we've, we've looked at many different aspects or characteristics of an apostolic body, one thing that we have to not forget about is that we're called to manifest the kingdom of God in power with signs and wonders. There must be power. The gospel of the kingdom is not in word, but it's in power. There's nowhere in the Bible where people just preached sermons. 
Every time the apostles ministered, Jesus ministered, there was always accompanying supernatural phenomena. There was healings. There was deliverances. There were miracles. Things were happening. But when we read the Bible, there's no way that we can, we can refute that. It's so clear. But then we look at what's happening in many places in our culture today. Ask yourself as a Christian, why is it that I'm not seeing power and miracles following my life? Because the Bible says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Why is it? I'll tell you why. Do you want to know why? Some people don't want to know why. You know why? Because information brings responsibility. But the responsibility is this. If you, now that you know these things, Jesus said you will be blessed if you do them. If you do them. If we're here and not a doer, guess what happens? We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We're like a man who looks in a mirror, walks away, forgets what he looks like. Miracles need to be following our lives. We pray things should happen. Things should come to pass. I realize there's a time of contending. But we also, when we lay hands on people, there should be healings. I recognize that it's not happening every time I pray for someone. I will be the first one to acknowledge it. But I am telling you that I believe that when I pray for people that something's going to happen. I'd rather believe and not see it happen than not believe. Because if I pray for someone and they don't get healed, well, at least I'm trying, at least I'm praying. But if I begin to pray for somebody and then they start getting healed... If I pray for 10 people and only one person gets healed, that's better than not praying for 10 people. And the more we come to a place of faith and the more we engage in our authority and become closer to Jesus Christ, the more times we'll see miracles happen. But we have a mindset in the church today where it's all about rocking up to church on a Sunday, being a good person, You know, doing my duty, but we're not doing much, many of us, to extend the borders of the kingdom so that people are coming into the kingdom and being liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. So preaching and bringing what? The gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Basileia is the Greek word for kingdom. And it literally speaks of this, royal power, kingship, dominion, rule. It's not just a physical uh, jurisdiction. It's not just a geographical location, a kingdom. But it is more than that. The word in the Greek language speaks of what the authority and what is actually happening In other words, as I said, royal power, kingship, dominion, rule, authority. And I find it interesting that it actually says the 12 were with him. Do you know what the meaning of the number 12 is? It's considered a perfect number. It symbolizes God's power and authority as well as serving as perfect governmental foundation. When God builds the new Jerusalem. There are going to be 12 walls and what? Representing one of each of the apostles. 12 tribes, 12 apostles. 12 is the number of God's government. We've been called to govern. We've been called 
to reign in this life. Romans 5.17 says, If we have received the abundance of grace, it's so that we can rule and reign in this life. You're the head, not the tail. You're called to torment the devil, not him, you. You're called to go out and to take his territory, to bring it back. You're called to possess the things that he has taken and stolen from you so that it becomes your reality. You're called to live in authority, to walk in victory, to overcome, to triumph, to possess, to occupy. These are the th- words that, are, are, that describe our authority as believers. I'm not going to sit back and be passive and allow the enemy to run roughshod over my life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to go into spiritual warfare. I'm going to tell him his days are numbered. I'm going to tell him he better be nervous. He better be afraid. He better have a hard time sleeping at night because I'm taking back what he's stolen from me and my family and I'm going to occupy what belongs to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Come on. It's sim- the number 12 symbolizes completion. What are we called to do? Well, what Jesus did. The works I do shall you do also. John 14, verse 12. What did he do? 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy. Now, that's not a nice word. Destroy. Blow up. Okay? Demolish. Right? It's, it's, it's a word... Of, it, of violence. And so you might want destroy, break down, render powerless. Is what the idea of the word is. The works of the devil. I have authority to stop your works in my life. I have authority to stop what you're doing in my family. I have authority, Satan. I'm going to destroy your works. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to allow you to afflict someone with a sickness and disease, not on my watch. I have authority to be able to come against this. I have authority to see the people that are being taken over and oppressed by you, liberated and set free. And I have authority, and I'm going to pray even for them because they may not be rising up and standing in their authority. They might not understand who they are in Jesus Christ. They might be sitting back passively, not doing what they need to do to see their liberty and their victory. But I'm saying, Satan, I'm going to pray that the God of Jesus, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of lights, will shine wisdom and revelation into them till they begin to understand who they are, until there's an aha moment in their life and they recognize they don't have to live this way. I can change. I can shake off these chains and I can go forward in victory and in freedom in Jesus' name. Come on. In the month of July, we're about to release a date. We're having a weekend of what we call Freedom Encounter. We will be asking people that are dealing with things, things from the past, things that you're struggling with, addictions, soul ties, things that keep you in bondage to come. And it will be a very intense time of commitment. And you will experience liberty and freedom in your life. You will begin to walk in a new place because we're going to come together and destroy the works of Satan. People are going to be set free from his captivity. 2 Timothy 2.26 That they may come to their senses 
Some people need to come to their senses. And escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do what? His will. You see, there are people that have been taken captive. What do we do in a hostage situation? We do not negotiate with terrorists. We kill them. We do not negotiate with terrorists. You see, the fact is, Satan is a terrorist. And we don't negotiate with him. We don't barter with him. We don't make an agreement with him. We kill him. We rescue people that are, well, one day we can't kill him. We know that God will throw him into the lake of fire. But one day, we can destroy his works now, but one day he will be destroyed. But we can destroy his works and we can set people free who've been taken captive by him. What else does the enemy do? Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Oppressed. Are you oppressed? The word oppressed means to rule over someone harshly. To rule over someone harshly. I believe, guys, that if we believe the word of the Lord, if we will rise up in our authority, we will extend the boundaries of the kingdom. When we look at our situations in life, and if you see anything in your life personally that does not line up with God's plan, which is what? His kingdom would come, his will would be done in your life, in my life, as in heaven. If there's oppression, oppression, if there's captivity, if there's the working of the devil in some way, then it's God's will that his works be destroyed. It's his will that you be released from his captivity. And lastly, he desires that each and every one of us is free from oppression. If there's any area in your life where you see his kingdom occupying territory, then you need to do something. You need to drive a stake in the ground. You need to raise the flag of the kingdom of God. And you need to say no more. I belong to God. This belongs to God. This is part of the kingdom of God. I claim this territory. I take this territory for the kingdom of God. If it's your family, if it's your health, if it's your finances, no matter what it is, you begin to say and contend that this belongs to God. I'm not going to allow the enemy to possess God's property, God's land, God's space. I'm going to take it back. I remember we were ministering in America and there was a family there, a couple, who actually originally from India. And I, I was preaching that and I, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, there's someone here who's a medical doctor. And I said, okay, who's a medical doctor? And I had given an invitation, people had come forward for prayer. And as they had, I actually saw this couple, and in my spirit, I knew there was something significant about them. And I felt that they were the ones that this word was relevant to. So I asked them, I said, are you guys, any one of you, a medical doctor? 
And they both looked to me and said, no. I said, wow, okay. Are you sure? I think we'd know that. <laughs> Undercover. But the fact is, I said, okay. Well, I don't know what this means, but I feel like I've got a word. And, but if you guys are not a medical doctor, then I'm not going to share the word with you. Well, they looked at me and they went, oh, pastor. My father-in-law is a medical doctor and we came here this morning for you to pray for him. And she had a plastic bag and she pulled out a shirt from the plastic bag. The shirt belonged to her father-in-law. She said, he's depressed, he's oppressed, he's, he's sick, he's got a lot of issues and we've been praying for him. Nothing has happened. Well, she said, would you just, just anoint the shirt? Just, you know, touch this shirt and we're going to take it and make him wear the shirt. And we believe that God is going to heal him. Come on, that's faith right there, isn't it? So I did. I just took the shirt and I put my hand on it. I prayed. They took it. It was actually in the evening. That's right. It was an evening service. They took the shirt home. Their father-in-law lived with them. And they woke him up and said, you need to put this shirt on. He said, why? He said, I'm sleeping. So put the shirt on. Wear it. So he agreed. He put the shirt on. He went back to sleep. The next morning, he woke up and he was completely transformed. The depression was gone. The sicknesses was gone. All they tested him. The sicknesses had left him, including high blood pressure, which they couldn't couldn't sort that out many other issues that he was he was dealing with and she came back or they came back as a couple and they said god has done this amazing work in in my father-in-law he's healed he's set free he's like a different person he's happy but i want you to pray for my family i have brothers and sisters in india that need to know god they need to experience miracles So I asked, what's the wrong? Well, this one has this sickness. This one has this disease. This one can't have a child. And and, can you pray? So it ends up, I think it was like seven of them. And I prayed for every one of them. A couple of months later, maybe three months later, they contacted me. And they said, by email, they said, we have some amazing news. They said, do you remember you prayed for my brothers, my sisters that night? And I said, yeah, I remember. He said, well, all, all of our prayers were answered. And I said, so God healed them. And he says, I, how many of them were healed? Every one of them. Every one of them was healed instantly that night. And I want to tell you, my sister, who was not able to have a child, is now pregnant. She's expecting. And to me... Just to see the power of God manifested like that. Boom, 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 boom. Seven out of seven, guys. That's the Holy Spirit. But it was just stepping out in authority and seeing God move. Taking him at his word and realizing, because this is the key. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. The earth is ours. 
Why is the earth in a mess? Who messed it up? Did God mess it up? Come on. Let's be logical here, right? And yet we expect God just to come in and just clean up everything. If God had to clean up everything, guess what he'd have to do? He'd have to destroy the mess makers first. And he's not willing that any should perish. So what does he do? He says to us, win them, reach them, share the good news with them, set them free, go into the territory, their lives, even though they're in the kingdom of darkness, you can, you can claim their lives for the kingdom of God. You can, you can say this belongs to God. The kingdom of heaven is here. Satan, you can't stay here. This territory belongs to the Lord. You know, the Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It says that Satan is the God of this world, but it never once says he's the God of the earth. He's the God of this evil world system, but he's not the God of the world. The earth belongs to God. And so everything that belongs to him, we need to take back. We need to drive out the kingdom of darkness in our own life, anywhere where the kingdom of darkness is present, where there's oppression, where there's captivity, where Satan is working, where the works of darkness are operating, we need to get rid of it. Amen? We need to get rid of it, guys. And we need to begin to recognize that this city, our family, our friends, when you see what is going on, people we don't even know, there are divine appointments, there are opportunities to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do not want to be a typical church where we just kind of show up on a Sunday and we just do things. Frankly, I don't want that. I want revival. I want to see the outpouring of the Spirit. I want to see transformation of a city. I Hey, I didn't come here. Lynn and I didn't come here because we needed a job. Trust me. There's many things we could be doing. We did not come here for that. And as John Kilpatrick said to his congregation, he said, we're going to pray. We're going to seek God for a revival. And they prayed for two years. And they prayed and they contended. Then on Father's Day 1995, a Holy Ghost revival broke out in Brownsville that rocked thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people from the nations of the world. And I'm here to see revival. I'm here to see people's lives changed and transformed. I'm here to take back what the devil has stolen from me, from my family, from you. I'm here to stand with you, to contend together. Let's do it together. But let's not sit back passively. We have authority to rise up and to say the kingdom is in here. Heal the sick, cast out the Cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. This is what we can do. He would never command us to do something if it's not possible. If it's not possible, why would he say do it? Come on, let's stand together. Please. I'm angry at the devil this morning. I'm not angry at you. I hope you're not angry at me. But I am angry at the devil. Come on, let's channel our passion into extending the boundaries of the kingdom on the earth. Let's channel our passion, our time, our energy, our prayers into this. If there's an area in your life where Satan has claim, he's operating, he has a presence, he has a stronghold, a foothold, whatever you want to say. If there's an area in your life, recognize, guys, that is not the will of the Father. It's the will of the Father that you be free. Uh, You be free. And you have the authority to identify and to to overtake it. Amen? Apostolic people are about taking the kingdom of God throughout the earth. 
establishing his kingdom that his reign would be in this terrain that this space would become his place as above so beneath that we would see what God wants to do stop letting the devil walk all over you stop allowing him just to do whatever he wants to do in your life rise up kick him in the teeth tell him to go home you know, I remember when I was a kid, I used to walk down this road to school every day. And, and this one house, invariably, whenever I go by this one house, it had this really long driveway. And every time I walked by there, this dog would show up. And it was so annoying. This dog, rah, 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 run at you. And at first, I looked at that dog and, you know, I said, oh, and I ran. And I'm like 10 years old. And then eventually I thought, this is getting old I'm not going to be able to continue doing this too long I'm not allowing this dog to do this to me owners obviously didn't care so I did think about shooting it but I thought well that's probably plan B so what I said was I'm going to confront this dog so I would walk and I would wait and when as soon as I'd walk by and the dog starts running after me I turned around and gave it the biggest kick in its head it ever had. From that point on, I can tell you, that dog, and I had steel toes on, that dog never bothered me again. Come on, some of us need to turn around and kick the devil in the head. We need to say, no, I'm not going to run from you. You're not going to control my life. You're not going to intimidate me. We need to confront him and not allow him to do what he wants to do in our life. Amen? Come on, let's worship Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. Come on, the team leads us. Introducing Venture X, Capital One's new travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars, and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel, and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.